This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, up to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Boone. And today on the program, I'm joined by a guy that I've spent a good amount of time with. He's been a sports columnist for the better part of 30 years has been covering the Mariners since 1996. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Seattle Times, Larry Stone. Larry, thanks for coming on the program. My pleasure. I, I'm, I'm used to asking you the questions. It's going to be a little turnaround I was here. Come. you asking me. <laughs> Larry, the irony here. The irony. <laughs> uh, before, I get, before I interview Larry Stone, what was it like covering Brett Boone? <laughs> it was awesome be, I'm not be gonna... nice this is you know what the, sh- the name of this show is no, I'm I, kidding. I i i'm not just saying this because i'm on your show you were you were a joy to cover and i've told other people that in that era from 2001 uh to about 2005 when your heyday with the mariners uh, your second stint um you were the go-to guy no matter a tough loss a big win you were always at your locker and you were the first guy we went to. And I have a distinct memory of one day after a loss, you 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 told the writers, you know, I just don't feel like talking today. And, and one of the guys said, well, we need to talk to you. And he said, and you said, okay. And you, and you <laughs> held court that day, just like you did the other day. You kind of wanted a break because you'd been doing it every day. But I think you felt it was your obligation to sort of be the spokesman for the team in that, in that era. And you did a great I- job of it. I think it is. And to a point, you know, I was a young player once and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you talk to the media here and there, but there's usually a veteran presence in in a big league clubhouse, especially on a winning team where Mm -hmm. you have your go to's, you know, guys that are going to give you uh, the scoop, going to be honest with you. As I morphed into a a veteran player and on especially those Mariner teams where I was kind of in the middle of that pack. And I don't know, I, I. I felt like I got to a point in my career where I felt like your guys' job is tough. My job's tough. Uh, Sometimes we both don't want to be there after a game. You know, Larry, Mm -hmm. the last thing you want to do is come down when I go 0 for 5 and we lose and I drop a, you know, I screw up a double play to win the game. The last (laughs) thing you want to do is come down and pass, but that's your job. And and the last thing I want to do is answer that question. But I just felt it was, and I think you said it right, it was my obligation as a player making a lot of money in the middle of a lineup of on a team that's winning to answer the bell, good, bad, and indifferent. 
because it's easy for to stand up there when things are going great and we just won and I just hit a three run homer and yeah, let's mm-hmm. talk about me. Uh, but I also, you know, I felt that you had to be there on the downtimes and I think that's how you form whether we like each other or not, the media and players, it's, it's, it's a complex, you know, especially for certain personalities, but we've got to live together. So mm-hmm. I always thought I might as well get along with the, with, with these guys and, and be there for them. That was my obligation. And uh, all I asked in return was I, everybody has to be critiqued, but just do it professionally and critique me fairly. And I'll be there for you. Win, lose or draw. So I appreciate um, you saying those words. Um, relationships between player and media uh how, how do they work in general because you have your guys that you like that are easy to work yeah. with but i'm sure you've had some tough ones over the years yeah i mean i covered barry before i came to seattle i covered the giants for six years uh, during the barry bonds era and you know he was a he was a difficult guy to cover he was sort of the opposite of what i just described with you he would not always be around and and sometimes you needed him and it was excruciating trying trying to get him and Barry would have his moments where he was extremely personable too. It was, it was sort of the not knowing that was the worst part, which Barry were you going to get that day? Uh, so, you know, when the best player on the team is the most accessible, uh, that's a dream, uh, a dream situation. And, you know, you were right up there with the best, you know, one of the best players on that team and you were also the most successful, accessible. Tony Gwynn was like that in San Diego. You know, you, you always knew that, that Tony was going to be there. He, he loved, loved to talk with the media but to answer your question you know what you said about all you asked was that they be fair that's that's i think i think most writers understand that and strive for that to be even if you have to be negative do don't do it in a don't get personal do it in a in a constructive way or a fair way where the uh, the criticism even the player has to agree that it's warranted and it's not mean spirited and, you know, when you're, there's a different relationship when you're a beat writer than when you're a columnist. When you're a beat writer, I think you try to, uh, to, to get a closer relationship with the players because you're, you're there every day before the game. They open the, the locker rooms two, three hours before the game. And there's a lot of milling around. And a lot of times just, just that's where you chat up the players and get to know them on a more personal level. You know, a columnist, uh, I think you, you have to keep your distance a little bit more because, you have to be a little bit more negative sometimes as a, as a columnist than as a beat writer. But, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate that I always had pretty good relationships with everyone I covered. Uh, and I think maybe that was just the result of trying to be, trying to be fair and, and understand things from, from your guys's point of view and knowing that it's an extremely difficult game and, that the mistakes that happen are just a function of that. And and you have to be a little bit uh, uh, forgiving in that regard. I think you're right too. And I think it comes down to a respect thing. And, mm-hmm. and I know for me and, and most of the guys, I got along good with the press, especially uh, the beat writers, the guys that were there every day and on the road for the most part, uh, the press was good to me, you know, critique me when I need to be critiqued. I had thick skin. I, I wasn't going to, you know, mm-hmm. if, if, if you're making X amount of dollars a year and you're not performing, well, that's got to be reported. doesn't mean we have to blast you and say you suck, but right. it's like, hey, you know, <laughs> Brett's not doing his job. I understood that. Uh, the few times probably I had 
problems with press through the years was probably on the road. Probably it was getaway day. I was leaving. And, and back then, before social media was so, you, know, you, you don't miss anything. And, and if you do miss something, your buddy's going to text you and say, hey, did you see this column by Larry Stone? <laughs> uh, so it's not like the old day. But it seems like the times that that I felt a little bit like, wow, that was that, that didn't need to be said or that was it was usually on the road and it was usually the day I was leaving because they didn't have to come back. And, to, you know, and hopefully I'd forget by the next time I came to town. Well, I usually didn't forget if something <laughs> stood out to me. But, um, yeah, for the most part, it, it's a mutual respect. And it's, hey, you know, if it's another teammate that comes from another team, mm-hmm. uh, they'll ask you, hey, who are the guys you stay away from? Who, yeah. Uh, our time in Seattle. I didn't really have anybody to say stay away from. I said that that guy's a good guy. He'll be straight with you. Uh, he'll report fairly. Uh, but, you, you know, I found that some players get a little bit too. Uh, I don't know what the word is, but they're a little, little fragile. It's like mm-hmm. you realize you play this game. And especially now when guys are making $20 million a year, you make a lot of money. And you know what comes with that critique? Mm-hmm. If you don't want to be critiqued, be the 26th man on the roster, make the minimum, and no one will ask you a question anyway. <laughs> but if you want to make $20 million, have all the all the perks that come along with it, this is the other side of the coin, and it's part of the deal as being one of the main guys. And I, I've always tried to say that to, to up-and-coming players. It's mm-hmm. like one day you're going to be in this position, and, and I think you have an obligation because of what you do for a living. Uh, to answer these questions and be honest with them. And I said, you know, most of these press guys, they're good guys. If you shoot them straight, if you answer their questions, mm-hmm. everybody gives us a break once in a while. I'm sure there were days, Larry, where you guys came to me and said, guys, just give me one day. Yeah. And because of our relationship, you respected that in return and gave me my space. Now, I'll be right back there tomorrow. You know me. I, I would be back there tomorrow for you. Yeah. It's just everybody has their limits. My threshold was a little more. I knew after a, a, a tough game, tough series, tough week, uh, that at the, when I, when I walk off that field, I'm, I know I'm going to have to talk to the press and I've already set my mind. So I'm not going to come in ranting and raving. It's like, no, this is part of what I do. Yeah. And, uh, so, so that's, that's the reason for that. Um, you mentioned personal, is there a line between reporting and personal? Yeah. Well, for the, for sure there, there is, and you have to kind of, uh, erase if you have, you know, (laughs) there's going to be people that you hit it off with and there's going to be people that you don't like, just like in life. And I always tried not to carry that into my, my writing that, you know, and both ways, you know, guys that you really liked, you had to be, you know, sometimes it was tough to be critical with them, but the other way around guys, you didn't like, uh, you know, some writers will, will let that flow into their writing about them. And I always tried not to do that. But it's inevitable that you're going to grow closer with some players than than others. You know, I had a few over the years that I just hit it off with, and and you know, you, 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 you it, it's almost like you don't want to have a friendship, a true friendship, because that could color the way you know. At, at inevitably, something negative is going to happen, and if you you know you're going out to dinner with this guy or playing golf, then then it's hard to be a fair reporter with them. It, that happened. You, you can develop those relationships more after their career is over, you know, and that's happened too. But um, yeah, you, uh, you, that was a cardinal rule of mine. It's just not to, not to, not to get personal, not to, to have vendettas or anything like that. What I'm asked about managers 
uh, and you know what makes a great manager this that it, there's a lot of intangibles i think uh, that you have to have to be a real uh, elite manager of, the, mm -hmm. of the, all the guys i played with the, the the really good ones all had certain qualities and one of them was you need to you're you're talking about this press and players it's the mm -hmm. same with the manager and players. You can't be too close with your players. Yeah. Uh, there are man. Bruce Bochy was probably the closest anybody ever got because he's Bruce. He's a big teddy bear. Mm -hmm. uh, but he even had to keep his distance because he's got that tough job. He's going to have to release you one day. He's yeah. going to say you're traded. He's going to tell a young player you're getting sent down. So to get too close, then it becomes an emotional thing. If if a manager and a player are are are, are that close, uh, he might have to deliver some bad news one day. So yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're talking about on the on the closeness between uh, media and players. Because I was thinking about this when when I was preparing for this for this show today, and I thought because Larry, every for those of you listening to the boom podcast larry stone is pretty easy to get along with you know there's not too many guys i've ever dealt with any players that have a problem with larry stone but i'm sure you had your favorites and i'm sure you had guys where you thought i'm trying as good as i can but i just don't like him so the guy that you really some of your favorite guys through the years was it tough when man i got to write a tough column tomorrow I got to yeah. write a tough article, yeah. whereas vice versa, that guy that you really, for whatever reason, don't get along with, don't respect, you've got to write a real great piece on him. <laughs> Is there two that fight each other? Yeah, that, that for sure. And I think if you've earned the reputation, and I appreciate the, the, those words, but if you've over time have shown that you are fair and that you are trying to get you know, the, their side of the story and all that, when you do have to turn a little bit negative, I think uh, they take it a little bit better than if you uh, have ignored them <laughs> and not developed a relationship at all, or if you've clashed with them. So, you know, I, I think the fact that I tried to forge a relationship of some sort uh, helped me when it, when it came inevitably time to, to point out something that wasn't that positive. So I think they, the players uh, understood and respected that, you know, not to say I haven't had issues with players over the years. That's inevitable too. You're going to write something that they don't like. When I, uh, one that stands out, um, I was, uh, this was an assignment was to write a story on the, the 10 worst free agent signings that the Mariners had ever had. And at number four, I think four or five, I put Jared Washburn, who, who was on the team at the time and had had a couple of bad years. And Jared was furious with me about that. <laughs> and I don't know if he ever fully forgave me for that. Um, but, the, you know, that's the sort of thing that, that, that you just have to sort of shrug off when it happens. I tried to explain to him my reasoning and, and all that. But uh, I think it was it really it hit a it hit a. A sensitive spot with him so th that sort of thing happens over the years it's a different time now but let's go back in the day a little bit you ever uh, you got your story you're writing it you send it off and do you ever have that toss and turn night like man did i did i really capture what i was trying to cap did i say should i have changed this sentence <laughs> and, and you're, you're you're just tossing and turning all night you ever have one of those 
I think you asked the wrong question. The question is, do I ever not have one of those? Because <laughs> I agonize over every one, and I have those moments, uh, maybe maybe less now that I'm old, older and near the finish line. But yeah, I I second guess myself constantly, and that's one good thing about the internet age. Before, when I first started, for the first bulk of my career, you sent the story, and there was nothing you could do about it till it done. appeared. In the, yeah, you're done until it appeared, in, you know, on your front porch in the morning. But now, if you do make a mistake, you could get back in it and correct it, at least for the internet, maybe not the print edition, but the online edition. So uh, that takes a little bit of the panic away. Um, you know, often what, what I'll fret about is is mistakes that I made. Did I get the count right when he hit the home run uh, and, and that sort of thing? But occasionally it's, was I fair in this characterization? Did I get the play right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, a lot of it's just personality driven. I have that kind of personality where I'm going to fret over things. And uh, so, yeah, that, that that you described uh, my <laughs> my point of view pretty accurately there. Along those that a similar line of questioning. And what I mean is uh, when it comes to putting out a story, I, I know your your job starts pregame. Yeah. Players start pregame. You talked about coming three hours early, milling around the pregame story. Now the game is played, so there's a story in itself. At the end, you got to wrap it up. There'll be times where it, you know, it's a fourteen inning game, and you're the story has changed five times yeah. by the time you get there. But I'm just thinking those days where where let's for me the only the the only thing I can really attributed to is preparing for an interview like today. And and there's some that just flow and it's easy when I'm preparing It's some, I just can't get it out. I can't write it. Do you ever have one of those where I know the story it's in my head. I've been doing, I've written yeah. a thousand stories in a row and I just can't put it on paper and everything I write looks like this is, this is not right. That does happen. One thing is uh, when there's a night baseball game, you don't have that luxury. There's a deadline. And you have to hit it. If you don't, if you miss too many deadlines, you're going to be out of the job. I mean, that's the number one job requirement is to hit that deadline. So you you're not allowed to have writer's block or or that sort of thing. I mean, what you produce may not be very good, but you're going to have to produce something. And so, uh, and I don't know a lot of if a lot of people know this, but you know, the, we're writing our stories. The people who cover the games, the beat writers, during the game because. Uh, for the early edition, it has to be sent the, the second the final out is made, you hit send on your on your computer and, and send it. So it's not like after the game, you're you're starting to write. You're writing while the game is going on to hit that deadline. And when you, know, you, you, you might the worst ones are when a team is leading, let's say the home team is leading going into the top of the ninth and the the other team rallies and takes the lead and that's blown your whole angle that you've, that you've just written about. And then the home, so you, you, you frantically adjust the story to reflect that. And then the home team rallies in the bottom of the ninth and wins, and then you have to change it again. So it's, it's a job that's, that, that can fry you mentally just because of the stress of meeting deadline night after night. And, and then usually what you do is you go down to the, the clubhouse after the game, talk to the players, then you come up and you rewrite your story for later editions to reflect, you know, you take a little more time with it, craft it a little bit more, insert the quotes and all that. So you're writing multiple uh, versions of the same game. And uh, it's a very, 
you know, people don't, I think, appreciate how stressful and difficult it can be. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, I'm going to give you a stressful question. Now, this has been brought up to me quite a bit, and and we've talked uh, on the phone about this, and I, yeah. and I told Larry I was going to bring it up because these are the things that Larry deals with. Yeah. Uh, it's Seattle-based, recently uh, young young pitcher for the Mariners, Kirby, who I, I, I think one day is a, is a Cy Young candidate, that type of stuff. But he he comes in, he comes in after the game and he has words and, and he I'm not gonna quote him, but the gist of it was he gave it up. Uh he had 90 pitches, he went out for the next inning, he ended up giving up a home run. Uh Mariners end up losing the game. And and essentially he said, Yeah, well, I wish I wasn't even out there. I had 90 pitches. Now as an ex-player, and I've been asked about this soon as soon as that happened because of my Seattle ties. Of course, I had a lot of questions about it, and I was careful how I answered it. I thought about it a bunch because uh, I always say that time when I was in that clubhouse and I was the center of that clubhouse, that was my time. Now it's not my time. It's their time. It's this player's time. I know times have changed. I know players have changed. Uh, I know the culture is different. 90 pitches is drilled into their mind coming up the ladder in the minor leagues. So I get the differences. But I have to admit, when I heard him say that on camera, I have never been with, uh, played with a teammate or played against an opponent that I actually saw him on camera say something like that. He got a lot of backlash uh, on Twitter, you know, from, from ex Cy yeah. Young type, Hall of Fame type players. Um, I, I didn't say anything, but I just thought, wow, from a teammate's perspective as a player on the field, I see that from a teammate and I kind of opens my eyes like, whoa, because the most important thing you have, this, this player media relationships, great. This player management, you know, coaches, staff, that's important. The bottom line is the most important relationship is you and your teammates in that room. Cause those are the guys that go out there from seven to 10 every night, your reaction of a situation like that how do you handle that how did how did uh kirby handle it well yeah you know i i winced when i saw those comments because i knew there was going to be a backlash and sure enough you know a lot of players from your generation on twitter ripped him jared weaver you know houston street uh mark Mulder, roger clemens those are the ones i saw and i think there were a few others and uh i think the players in their in the Mariners clubhouse, I think they know what a competitor he is. He's a, he's a fierce competitor. I think he just miss kind of misspoke. He's a guy who takes losses and poor performance by himself extremely hard. He takes it to heart. He, I, I think he's what you'd call a hothead. And he, I think that that kind of got the better of him in that moment. I don't think that it stamps him as a guy who wants out of the game or anything like that. I think he, I think he genuinely thought that the team would have been better at that point to have someone else in there because he was losing his stuff and he knew that it may not end well. But I agree with you, Brett, that 
you keep those thoughts to yourself. Yeah. You go into the manager's office and express it privately in a different way. I think if he had, you know, he's he the next day he came out and apologized, said he's, you know, he felt badly. He apologized to Scott Service, the manager. Uh, so I I I hope this doesn't uh, hang on him for his whole career because I think he's a guy who really wants the ball and and wants to be out there. I just think that I don't think he's a ninety pitches and five and dive kind of guy like uh, you see occasionally. And there were those kind of guys in your era in the and in the era of Mark Mulder. It's not like this is a new thing. Uh, but and we I, called him, and we called him as players. We said, "Oh, he wants out of here at the fifth. We all knew. We know yeah. who the guys are that that yeah. that want out, and we right. know who the guys that are gonna they're gonna grind until you pull them off the mound." Right. I, I played with both, and I think Kirby honestly is closer to that latter group, the ones you're gonna have to pull them off. I just think he had a bad day. He had a bad post game as well. Real and, bad post game. Yeah, real bad post game, and I think he's going to have to live with it a while and sort of prove that that's not him. And I think he will, like you said, he's a Cy Young caliber talent, uh, and you know he was on he was a dark horse Cy Young candidate this year, although he's mm -hmm. kind of faded towards the end of the season, but uh, or struggled a little bit towards the end of the season, but. Uh, you know, as from a writer's point of view, if you get a quote like that, you've got to run with it. You've got to, you know, you've got to explore it further. And, and, uh, because you know that that's something you don't hear every day. Um, you know, there's a lot of quotes after the game that you can almost tell what the quotes predict, what the quotes going to be before you hear it, because you hear the same things in different situations. When you get something that's unique, uh, that's noteworthy. And this is something that no one had heard. And so, it was it was something that that the media was going to run with and and you know i don't think anyone was unfair to him i didn't see i think most of the more of the criticism came from ex players than it did from the seattle media yeah um you're retiring in november uh how what's the biggest changes you've seen since the beginning of your career to present well media wise i don't know if that's what you're referring to but there used to be uh, you know, you mentioned Lou. I covered Larusa. I covered Dusty, and Lou. The three; those were the three like uh, celebrity managers that I covered. Right, right. And 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 in their era, and when I started in the '80s, the manager would hold court in their office before every game for half an hour or an hour, and you'd ask them baseball questions and get the rundown on the team kind of off the record, and they'd be blunt, and you'd talk about things not about baseball. Lou, Lou loved it. Lou loved to, to hang out with the writers in his office. Sometimes the PR guy would have to come in and say, hey, the game's about, <laughs> you know, the game's going to start pretty soon. You better get these guys out of there. Um and nowadays, that's you know that used to be everyone. Whitey uh, you know, was around. Sparky, uh, I even overlapped a little bit with Billy Martin. He was still managing when I started, and those all those guys would hold court in their office. Lasorda was big at that. Lasorda was huge in that, yeah. and you'd you'd learn so much about the game and the players. And uh, you know, I valued those 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 times. You know, Roger Craig was the, another manager I covered. I should have mentioned him. He was like that too, and. Uh, 
that's com- almost completely gone now. Dusty's still around, but I don't think he even does it now because it's a whole different era. You just, instead of hanging out in the office of the manager with your kind of your feet up on the desk kind of situation, now it's in the dugout. It's mo- very mu- much more uh, uh, cut and dry. Everybody's filming everything. So the managers can't be as blunt and as honest as they were before when no one had a camera or a cell phone. You know, they didn't have to worry about their quotes being taken wrong there was a sort of a trust an unspoken uh uh, agreement that's that everyone kind of knew what was well on the record and what was off the record but now it's much more formal and i think something has been lost uh you know that's not to say you can't you know uh, scott service is very good at dealing with the media you could He'll answer your questions. He'll go a little deeper and that sort of thing. But but the era of the sort of uh, rock tour manager of the, the Tommy Lasorda types so that that that's gone. That's a big change, and, and the game itself has changed too. Is you know I, I listen yeah. to your podcast. You talk about that quite frequently, and uh, and we all know how the game has changed as far as strikeouts not being as frowned upon as they were in your day, and. Right. Uh, many other things. Well, I know players have changed. I mean, do you see now being a veteran of so many years, do you see the new breed of the media? Are they, are they different than the guys that, like you said, back in the day, sit there, have a cup of coffee, kick their feet up with the manager (laughs) and just kind of BS. Yeah. Whereas do you see a little more buttoned up because, yeah, you know, I think as many things have changed from a player's perspective, a lot of them have remained the same. Now, you don't know what's really going on unless you're one of those 26 guys in the clubhouse. You really don't. Ex-player, that's exactly what you are. You're an ex-player. You're not privy to the -the on-the-ground stuff that only players know. Definitely a a different culture. They're, They're brought up differently, believing different things. They train differently than we did. But I think a ball player is a ball player is a ball player. taking a shower right after the game and being gone. I hear that happens all the time. Uh, whereas we used to sit around and talk the game. Manager might come in the clubhouse and talk the game. I, I love those times. I think great teams, that builds uh, that builds a relationship amongst the team. And I, and I think those days, I mean, I grew up when my dad in the 70s, mm-hmm. I mean, that was like, that's part of the rules. Like, there's got to be, if there's 25 guys on that roster, there were 15 to 20 guys hanging out for an hour after a game, having a beer, whatever they were doing, and just talking the game. What went on today? What what What's tomorrow? You know, family talk. But whatever, it was hanging out with your buddies. It, that doesn't happen anymore. But what do you see in the new, new era of media? Well, well, the big difference is that the first part of my career, it was mainly just the, the writing press. And now there's so many uh, different uh, in the Internet age. And now there's so many podcasts and, and those sort of things. There's different ways. There's different types of media that wasn't there before. And there's so many more different. Uh, the, the technology is so different. It's, uh, so I think when it was just the three or four beat writers who covered the team, the the same faces you saw every day and it was easier to to build a relationship with the players because they knew this was these were the guys you know you knew bob finnegan and jim street and those guys were there every day with them with the mariners now there's a lot more people there uh and you don't know who they're with or uh you know sometimes i don't even know who they're with and um 
So I think the players maybe are a little more cautious. In yeah, their- that, that, that makes sense. You're right. I mean, I never thought about that because when I was in the clubhouse, I know if I'm in New York, I know you're from the Times, you're from the yeah. Post, you're from, you know, there's a bunch of papers in New York, but I know you're not from the so-and-so podcast or the so-and-so blog. And, you know, I know these guys. I know what uh, you usually have relationships with them through the years, but that, that's an interesting point. Yeah. You don't know who you're dealing with in today's day and age. Cause there's so many different entities coming from so many different places. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, 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 I think that the relationships that the beat writers have nowadays, you know, our beat writer at our paper, Ryan Divish, you know, he, he does a great job of forging relationships with the players and building trust. I think that's still there with the core beat writers, but I think the, the, uh, the the medium has changed so much and the way that the information is conveyed has changed so much that that can't help but affect the way, you know, it, it, if you're a player, it, it's probably hard to go out nowadays too, because you're afraid someone with a, a fan with a, with a camera is going to, you know, you're having a beer somewhere, you know, you might show up on uh, Twitter or something like that. And uh, TMZ. Uh, yeah. TMZ. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder, how much that has inhibited players' uh, ability to to sort of fraternize in the way that you did, Larry. I came up and uh, I had some guys early in my career that kind of, and this is before your time in Seattle. But I came up in '92. Jay Buner, mm-hmm. Chris Bazio, uh, although it was tough love, yeah, uh, they kind of took me under their wing. I mean, they were as hard on me as you could possibly be. Sit down, Rook. Shut up. You speak when we speak. You you speak when you're spoken to, and I you, you imagine with my personality how I responded to to Jay, <laughs> <laughs> but I I just got myself in more trouble and got you know, yeah. but at the end of the day he'd take me to dinner he'd buy me a suit he'd give me mm-hmm. the keys to his his apartment that he had that that he was on the market and he said you stay here so I was taken care of they took me under their wing and they taught me the ropes and they taught me how to be a big ligger does that happen in media when you were coming up did you have a, an elder statesman kind of per se take Larry Stone and just kind of teach you the ropes a little bit yeah I did I mean I started covering baseball uh, my first season was 86 uh where I, I was working so for we're, small. Clo- we're closer to 40 years than 30 I said 30 well, plus but it's closer yeah to 40. I'm over 40 I yeah. started I started in 79 in Yakima wow. covering high schools but then I got a job covering the Mariners for the Bellevue Journal American I only was there for one year but uh Bob Finnegan who was the beat writer at the times helped me out a lot Jim Street the PI, both those guys helped yeah. teach me. Um, I had some guys in the Bay Area that uh, that's where I went next. Nick Peters, who's he, you know, he's in the sports writers wing of the Hall of Fame. He, uh, he was on the Giants beat when I was there and he'd been there forever. And I just watched him and how he interacted with the players. And, you know, a lot of my learning from him was just watching him in action and just admired the way that he uh, handled himself with players. And, um, so yeah, there there were definitely mentors along the way, and uh, they were they've been invaluable. Twenty four hundred Sports is an Odyssey company. 